understand what uh, life was all about in God and things like that. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that. But we've been about nine weeks into it now, uh, and we're still in chapter one. Okay, uh, so we got a ways to go yet. There's, uh, there's a few chapters yet to go, and, and uh, we'll take at least, I don't know, a year or two, maybe three to get through it. Um, <laughs> But we do have interruptions, just to let you know. So like the, the My Secrets series uh, is kind of in the middle of that. There's other series that will come along as well in the midst of that. But um, when, we, when we read through this, what we see is that, that this guy, Paul, he's never been to this town, Colossae, before. He's never met most of these people. He's, he's known one guy named Epaphras. Epaphras was the guy who, he, Colossae was his hometown. He, he went to where Paul was in another town called Ephesus, and he, he learned some stuff from him. He learned about who Jesus was. He was saved. He was changed. And he wanted other people to know about what that was like. To, he wanted other people to experience the same life he had experienced in Christ. So he went back to home, and he started just telling people about Jesus. Well, pretty soon there's like a, a little community of people, and they become what we call a church. They're people who are following Jesus together, serving their community, loving one another. And so Paul, he feels kind of a fatherly affection for these guys, even though he's, he's never really met them before. That may seem odd to you that you would actually feel like positive, you know, uh, parental kinds of affections for people that you don't know very well. But if you think about it, I mean, that happens uh, sometimes, you know, you hear a story about someone that you don't know and you just feel a connection to their story. Well, Paul does that. He feels a connection with these people. And he's writing this letter because there have been some other folks who've come in who would also say, hey, we're Christians, but they, they say, well, you guys don't have the full scoop. You don't have the full story. And so they kind of add some in, and Paul's writing to them. They say, whoa, 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 guys, hey, you've got everything you need to know. And so he spends like the first few verses just kind of saying, hey, guys, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your faith in Christ. And then he spends another few verses talking about Jesus and who Jesus really is. And we, we spent like four weeks going through that. Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, you know, Jesus is the uh, head of the church, things like that. When we just found he's just an amazing person, God come in the flesh. And now he's beginning to kind of talk about himself just a little bit, give a little bit of introduction to say, hey guys, this is, this is who I am, this is why I care about you. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that what Paul's doing here is he's helping them to see something that... that Bible teaching is not just about teaching the Bible. It's actually about life and teaching. It's about life and doctrine. And so when Paul begins to kind of talk about himself a little bit, he's not bragging, saying, hey, guys, I suffer for you. He's, he's basically trying to help them to say, hey, look, what we teach is also what we practice. What we uh, practice, the way we live, is also the, the spring of, of what we teach. So you shouldn't get this idea that, you know, that we should just be teaching things, but we should also be living things out. Now, he goes into this some with uh, the church, in another church close by to Colossus called uh, Thessalonica. He, he, teach, he writes to those guys and he says, look, you guys are doing a great job. And what does he say? Following our teaching? Well, he does say that, but he says actually following our example. He was among them and he, he wanted them to, to know that their life was, a, was not just about learning doctrine. It was about applying and living life according to the gospel. And so he writes to, to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, hey, I think that mic's working now. And so <laughs> I just heard flumping around there. Um, there's, he talks to Timothy. He says, look, guy, he says, hey, you've got to know this. You've got to really keep an eye on two things. 
As a leader, if, you, if you're a community group leader, if you're a, a, a serving in our J-Kids, if you're serving other people by uh, serving a ministry and, and helping out there, whatever, here's what you need to know. You've got to keep an eye on two things. You've got to keep an eye on your doctrine. That is, what, what does the Bible say and how, how does that go? And also, you've got to keep an eye on your life. You've got to keep an eye on your life. What is your life like? And that, that's challenging, isn't it? It's not just learning some facts. It's about saying, oh, here's what the Bible says. Now, here's how I live. Do those two things kind of match up or not? And so Paul, he's doing that in this section. He's opening up and saying, look, this is, this is what this is about. This is about life and it's about doctrine. It's good for leaders to actually not just teach things, but actually be around people and let you see their life. I hope that week to week, you know, you don't just come here just to, you know, you see me on, you know, 45 minutes, I yell at you. And then, you know, you don't see me again until next week, I yell at you for another 45 minutes. And it's like, this, does this guy ever actually, like, what does he do at home? You know, here's, you know, I only work one day a week. The rest of the day I'm in my, you know, boxers eating bonbons, watching TV, you know. <laughs> No, I mean, my life's real. I've got real issues. I've got sick kids at home. I've got financial struggles from time to time. We've got family. I don't know what this is. I'll try that. Okay. Uh, we've got, we got financial issues. We've got, we got family issues. We've got all kinds of issues in our lives, just like you have in your lives. Sometimes Annette and I don't get along the best. We actually have arguments and fights, right? I mean, this is real life kind of stuff, it's, but it's how do we live that out? How do we walk that through? It's life and it's doctrine. So in knowing that, then it's like, well, Paul takes the time to say, look, here's something you need to know about life. Life is going to have suffering in it. And then it's a matter of, well, how, how does... Wow, I have never had this much problem with this microphone, but it's doing it. Okay. Steve Zero. Okay. I'll try not to move so much. Maybe that's the issue. Suffering is a part of life. We all know that. We all experience suffering at some uh, level in our lives. And what we have to realize, though, that suffering is not fun. It's not popular. It's not something that we really want to have happen in our lives because it suggests that there's discomfort, that there's lack of control, like this microphone. And <laughs> It means that I have to deal with emotions that are not particularly fun, right? I have to deal with that. I have to deal with situations that are difficult, people that are difficult. I mean, okay, let's just imagine here in this room, let's say we just had one easy chair. It's one, you know, strata lounger, lazy boy type easy chair in the room. Okay, if there's just one and there's like, you know, 75 or 80 people of us here today, and it's like someone sitting in that chair, all the rest of it are looking at that guy going, why does he get that chair, right? We, we're feeling the pain of, hey, he gets a comfortable chair. I don't. What's going on? Shouldn't, they, shouldn't this church provide enough comfortable chairs for everybody? I mean, that's the way we start thinking. We're, we're suddenly, we weren't suffering, but now we are. Yeah, yeah why don't we have stratolanders? Yeah, cup holders, I know. Yeah, lean back. Uh, yeah, I get you. Okay. My soothing voice would put you to sleep anyway. Okay. Well, the thing is, we love, to be, we love to be secure. We love to be comfortable, right? There's nothing particularly wrong with being secure and comfortable. But the fact is, 
that we're, we're going to have discomforting things that happen to us. Our kids get sick. We want them to be well, but not just well like in a week or two. We want them well now. We don't want to see them suffering through that. If the doctor can't find a cure, we get angry. We fire him. We find another one because we don't like suffering. We do everything we can to push away from it. We do everything that we can to avoid suffering, to avoid it, to, because we view it as strange and we view it as intolerable in our lives. I mean, we just don't have a framework for it. We just don't know what to do with it. It's not something, definitely it's not something we should celebrate or rejoice in. I mean, we just don't have a framework for dealing with that in our lives. I mean, unless, now I will give a couple of caveats here. Like if you're around a, a bunch of old guys and they're talking about their most recent surgeries, then, you know, they're celebrating their scars, right? Or young teenage boys, you know, they might compare, uh, you know, the scars that they got in, a, in an accident or a football game or something like that. Or if you're around moms, moms are usually bragging about, you know, how long their labor was and how much how difficult it was. If you're around teenage girls, it's going to be the, you know, the latest girl fight that they had with their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. They're bragging about it. Suddenly, all their suffering is now, it's the rejoicing in that. They're, you know, it's one-upmanship. That's not quite what Paul's talking about here. We hate suffering. We'll prevent it. We want, we want rid of it. We're not like that. We don't usually think that, we could, uh, we could, that anything good could actually come from our suffering. We just can't imagine that that would happen. So we, we see God, you know, we see suffering, it's like, well, God must be angry with me somehow. He must be upset with me if I'm going through, through suffering. But the, but the reality is that, he, you know, I, I, you haven't done something to deserve it. God's not angry with you. It's important that we see doctrinal life. There's a different way to view suffering. And I think Paul begins to do that. I don't pretend that today when I talk about suffering, I'm not going to try to answer all your questions. Why is there suffering in the world? I, you know, I can't answer all those. But I think these the scriptures can point us down a pathway. They can help us to understand what we're dealing with here. That first of all, so, I mean, it's like one of the most controversial passages in the hold of the Bible. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of books written on this topic. Some going off and saying, you know, you, you really need to suffer. It's like, you, you know, it's like go after it. And then others are going, yeah, you need to avoid it at all costs. And then others who say, no, it has some positive benefit here. There's a couple of things that I think the scripture points out for us. The first one is that we realize that suffering is not pleasant. Duh. Had to work hard on that one. But it doesn't have to be pointless. Suffering's not pleasant, but it doesn't have to be pointless. The second thing is that Paul's statement about his own suffering is that it fills up what is lacking, and, what is, and, and, the, and that is a troubling statement because he says, this is, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's sufferings. That's a troubling statement. If you believe the gospel, if you say, well, Jesus' suffering is enough that all my sins are forgiven... And then Paul says, well, actually, I'm going to make up what's lacking in Christ. If, if you view it in that way, then it's like, whoa, wait a minute. What is he saying? Well, we know. Here's what we know. We know Paul is not saying that. All you have to do is, is if you've got your Bible there, you can still look in Colossians 1 verse uh, 20. I mean, it's clear that what he is saying is not, hey, I'm somehow... My suffering is atoning for your sins. That somehow my suffering is allowing God to forgive your sins. Here's, here's why. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. It just says, Through him, that is Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do it? By Christ's blood on the cross. 
This includes you who are far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself and through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So it's very clear Paul is not saying, hey, my suffering is somehow the way that God's going to forgive your sins. No, that's all taken care of in Christ. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that work was completely finished. Your faith in Christ, by His grace, through his faith, your faith in Christ, that is how you're saved. It's not that you're saved by Paul's suffering. So what is it that Paul's suffering is filling up? What is lacking? I think it's helpful actually to go back into the Scriptures and find out when Paul was saved. So if, you, if you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read just a, a little bit about Paul's, the way that we, he got saved. Now, you may be familiar with that story. It's, it's an exciting story. It's, it's a story about this guy. Paul's name had been Saul, and uh, he had been a persecutor of the church. So you read the Bible, you see stories of guys who are enemies of what we're doing here. You're, they're enemies of Christ. They're enemies. And basically, he, said, he says what he was doing was he was putting people in jail. He was having them prosecuted and executed. Okay? That's what Paul did. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. He hated the church. Now, so Jesus comes and knocks him off his donkey, literally. I mean, he's just, he sees this bright light, and he's knocked onto the ground, and Jesus speaks to him. And he says, how long, or, or why, why are you persecuting me, Paul, or Saul? Why are you persecuting me? Why is it you're doing this to me? Now, we talked about this a bit last week, but I mean, Paul could have easily said, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these people who believe in you. And Jesus fully, resoundingly said, no, you, you, you mess with them, you're messing with me. Somehow the sufferings of the Christians in that time, the church that they were suffering, his persecutions, Jesus was also in heaven suffering because they were suffering. That's an amazing thought to me. In verse 15, though, God speaks to, to this other guy named Ananias, and he says, Ananias, go talk to Saul. And Saul, I mean, Ananias is like, are you kidding me, God? I mean, really? I mean, this guy's killing guys like me. And he says, no, no, go talk to him. Here's what you need to tell him. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Wow, that's a big thing. Here's Paul. He's going to speak in front of kings. He's going to speak in front of dignitaries, people of Israel. He's going to bring the gospel to them. That's a pretty exciting call, right? But we fail often to go to the next verse, verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Oh, I get it. Jesus is getting revenge, right? He's been persecuting his church. So now, Paul, Paul, you're going to suffer, buddy, for all the bad things that you did. I think we sometimes we can read it that way, but that's, that's not it. Jesus is not looking for revenge here. He's, he's calling Paul into something that's huge, something that's big, and the bigness of it is demanding. And it means you're going to have some real difficulties in your life because of what you're doing here. Jesus took the punishment of all of Paul's sins, all the murders, all the false accusations. Those were all handled by the death of Jesus. 
Paul is not suffering because of his sin. He is suffering now for the gospel, for its progress, for its moving forward. Because of Paul, many churches will be planted. Many more people who weren't followers of Jesus will become followers of Jesus. Paul was going to do great things because Jesus called him into them. And these great things would result in persecutions, just like Jesus went through. Rejection, persecution, hardship, difficulty. So here we see Paul, he's filling something up in Christ's suffering, but it's not anything that's lacking in what Jesus did for our atonement. It is becoming really an example for us, an example for the church. This is how you handle, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. This is what it's like to tell other people about Jesus. You're going to come into some difficulty. Now, how do you handle that? When Paul suffered, it fills out for those who see him and know him that at the center of Christianity, there is a suffering Savior. See, it helps the church, it helps the world to see that there are people, they have hardship in their life, but the way they handle it is they see we have a Savior who actually suffered for us. When Annette brought that word, I was so excited. She leaned over, she goes, I didn't know you were preaching on suffering. Tells you what our communication is like in our household, right? (laughs) When she shared that word, it was so powerful because it's like we can sometimes hold back from Jesus because we think he doesn't understand suffering. Why would a good God allow suffering. And Jesus says, no, I came and I suffered. And a complete innocent suffered the most so that you and I could have freedom in life because of his suffering. So we, Paul says, I'm setting an example for you. But he also says, hey guys, you are setting an example for others, the way that you're suffering. I mean, in our, our day and time now, we can, you know, if we want to look at, you know, the sufferings of Christ, all we have to do is pop in the DVD, you know, we can watch, you know, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Cross, you know, we can see that in kind of vital color. In those days, they couldn't just pop in a video. They saw people, they saw guys like Paul who were suffering and handling it and the way they were handling it with rejoicing, with joy even, with a sense of purpose about it. And they're saying, oh, this is what Jesus is like. Now, your friends and my friends, they need to see that as well. This church, we need to see people who, who actually, they suffer well. They, they handle life well. Jesus calls us to bear our own cross. He actually calls us to that. Matthew 16, 24 says, he says to his disciples, if anyone, anyone. So you may be here today and say, I'm not a Jesus follower. Okay, if anyone, this is a call for you. If anyone follow, wants to follow after me, you've got to turn away from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life up for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth your own soul? A famous missionary said this. He said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. You may think that times that the hardship that you're going through, it just seems like complete foolishness. Others around you may say, this is just complete foolishness. Look, if you're giving your life away for others the way Paul was, then it may look foolish to other people. But the reality is, you're not a fool. Because you're gaining something that you will never, ever lose. You might think, well, I don't suffer the way Paul suffered, right? I'm I'm not getting punched in the face for saying I believe in Jesus. Okay, no one's persecuting me for my faith. I, I don't worry about you know that. I don't worry about someone 
you know, coming and burning my house down because I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't worry. We live in the United States for crying out loud. We're all Christians, right? Well, no, we're not. Jesus says, if you follow me, take up your cross. Those are, those are Christians becoming like Jesus. But you might notice suffering when you've made a commitment to serve other people. You might notice suffering when you are generous and giving to others. You might go out and work, and like this weekend, you, you go you know, to work on Monday and say, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? You know, a big Snowopolis. What'd you guys, what'd you do? Well, I went to church on Saturday night. Oh, really? What'd you do? Well, we set out chairs, and I worked really hard to serve to make sure that the meeting was all put together. Oh, really? Sounds like a blast. What'd you do on Sunday, you know, over the weekend? Hey, I, I served kids. I went to J-Kids. I was taking care of my kids. Oh, your kids? No, no, no. I was taking care of other people's kids. Really? For two hours, yeah. Really? Sounds like a winner of a weekend, man. I mean, you just, you kind of get this, there's this undercutting, making you feel foolish because you've taken the time to serve and to give and to, to give your stuff away and to give your life away. And it doesn't feel like persecution, just kind of, but it, it puts pressure in your soul. It puts this kind of sense of, ouch, that stings, that bites a little bit. People aren't admiring your generosity, your giving, and your serving. They're looking at you like, you are crazy. You're crazy. When you make a financial commitment to the church and tithe, you automatically realize that your coworkers may have a higher standard of living than you have because you've re just reduced your income by 10%. You're only operating on 90%. They're working on 100%. They might have more stuff than you. Guess what? You might have a bit of suffering going on there. You're suffering when you... Uh, because your, your lifestyle has changed. You're different uh, than the world around you. You have affliction. The bio, Paul talks about the afflictions of Christ. That's the pressure that comes. It's, a, it's an interesting word, affliction. It means the internal pressure. Have you felt that before? It's like you're in a setting, like maybe work on Monday, and they're talking about the weekend, and you just feel this internal pressure. It gets uncomfortable because you're living a different life, and they're talking about things, and you're going, wow, this is really challenging. Paul says about that, he says, look, this is like a constraining, it's a confining, it's a pressing in. That's what that affliction means. Have you ever felt that? Where you just feel like, I'm, my life feels like it's confined into something here. I don't know quite how to handle this. Paul says that's affliction. He says about himself, he writes to, Paul, to Timothy and he says, I am in chains, I'm confined, I'm constrained, but the gospel is unchained. It's not confined. I love that. Paul was in prison. He's suffering in that way, affliction. I'm all bound up here. I can't get out and do freely what I think I want to do. At the same time, he says, hey, I may feel constrained. My life may feel a bit constrained, but actually, here's the deal. The gospel's not restrained. It's making great progress. So when you serve, you may feel constrained. You're losing time. I mean, Last night we had a wedding here. You know, we spent about an hour and a half after the wedding putting the building back together. People came today, finished cleaning up, things like that. I see service around here all the time. It's so exciting to see you guys just pitching in no, no matter what. Like, you know, we had people who couldn't be here today. They were going to serve tomorrow, but they couldn't be here. So you got some of you stepped up and just, hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to embarrass some people right here. So great. I'm gonna, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to mention some people's names, so I'll embarrass them. 
And then you'll wonder, why didn't he mention my name? And so this is suffering for you. This is a little persecution on my part. No. People give up their time. They suffer. They, they, they lose out on time with family rather than simply re- re- relaxing. I mean, uh, Jeff and, and Chris Arnold, I'll just talk about those guys for a little bit. I mean, they wear me out with their willingness to serve, guys. It's, it's fun to watch them, because, but it will wear you out. Because they don't just serve here to make sure things happen here, volunteering, stepping up, doing this, doing that. I mean, but even when they're not here, I know I've had conversations and texts with them because they're having counseling sessions with people and they're trying to help other people with their finances and they're trying to help other people figure out, hey, this is the next step you need to make in life. I mean, they're really giving themselves to people. And it's exciting to see that, even though in their own situation, things are kind of tough, right? They've had a financial setback. They've had some things happen in their lives. That doesn't mean they stepped back from serving. They kept plugging away serving. It's exciting to see that. But it is, there's, a, there's internal struggle that happens there. There's pressure that comes because of that. Because sometimes the people you're trying to counsel don't listen to you. They don't do the things that you say, hey, if you would do this, things would go well, right? And it's painful. And it is suffering. Financially, when you give time and money, right, they're limited resources. When you give those away, that means something else is going to have to give. You feel the pressure and the constraint that that brings on. The commitment to love and serve one another, the emotional energy that's expended when you take time to meet someone else's needs. Greg and Karen Verkler just blow me away the way that they're constantly helping people work through issue after issue after issue. The emotional drain, sometimes you see it on their faces, most of the times you don't because they're trusting that, they're, that what they're going through they're going through has a purpose. It has a point. It's costly. It's emotional, but it's good. Take up your cross. You may feel confined. Your time's no longer your own, right? Your money's no longer your own. Your energy, your talent, your skill, whatever, they're not just yours. And you may feel constrained because you're putting them in other places, but it's like, no, you're not. If you feel constrained, well, the gospel actually is not constrained. It's being set free. Aren't you glad that Jesus actually was allowed himself to be confined? He allowed himself to be confined to the cross. He didn't try to get out of that. He didn't ask for shorter nails. Did you guys use the three-inch instead of the nine-inch nails? I mean, he didn't ask for cushions on the cross. He didn't try to slip away out of that. He took it full on. He took it full on. And what it says in Hebrews is that he suffered with joy. Just an amazing thought, isn't it? He suffered with joy. There it is again. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. Jesus says, I have suffering, but I have joy in the midst of it. Why can they find joy in their suffering? I think there's rejoicing and suffering. A couple of things we're going to kind of push through here. Through suffering, he knows, that the, that, uh, he knows rather the true source of joy. He knows the true, this is what Paul says, hey, look, I'm suffering, I know the true source of joy. Also, his suffering draws him out of self-centeredness. It draws him out of self-centeredness. Paul rejoices in his suffering because he knows that ultimately it's going to benefit someone else. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for who? Not for myself, for your sake. There is no more dark lonely, and miserable place than self-centeredness. I've been there. 
I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm an experienced, self-centered person, okay? And it's a dark, lonely, and miserable place. When we place ourselves in the center of our universe and trouble comes, it feels like we're having our skin literally just pulled right off our bodies. Because suddenly it's like things are coming in, at us from the outside of our world, and it's like we have absolutely no control over those things, and we, are, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get angry with others because we, we want them to come along and, and, and solve our problem. We want other people to come on and, and take away the pain that we're struggling with right now. And we put such pressure on others to make us more comfortable in our struggle. But the reason why we're in such pain is because we're all wound up and bound up into ourselves. We get angry with God. We accuse Him. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's not powerful enough. He's not potent enough to be able to take care of our pain. And our suffering, it just seems pointless. It seems completely senseless. It's like, here I am. I'm in my little world. I'm enjoying life. And then all this stuff comes from the outside, and it just rips at us, and it hurts us. God must be punishing me. God must be mad at me. No, he's not. He's not punishing you. He's not angry with you. All his anger and all his punishment was poured out on Jesus at the cross. All of it. When we're self-centered, we say those things because deep inside we're trying to make sense of the suffering. Why is this happening to you? Oh, God must be angry. See, we try to, we make a point. We say, oh, this purpose has to be there. If purpose isn't there, it just drives us nuts, right? To be going through something that has no purpose to it, you think, this is insane. I don't get it. Why would a good God allow this? But when there's a purpose, when there's a point, even if it's a bad point, suddenly it's like, okay, this makes sense. God's angry with me. God's mad at me. I've done bad things. Now he's punishing me. You see, suddenly we can make sense of it. It may not hurt a whole lot less, but we kind of make sense of it. But that's not the right way to make sense of it because that's not what's happening. Paul, he suffered, and he's not so limited by his self-centeredness because he found that there is a point to his suffering. We find joy when we start to understand why we might be going through suffering, that it actually has a point, and it points to other people. We can find our joy in suffering when we know it has a purpose, even if we can't find the full outcome, if we can't figure out the full outcome of that suffering. When your suffering simply goes from you suffering to suffering for someone else's benefit, suddenly it becomes worthwhile. And though still difficult, we can find joy in it. We can find that there's something worthwhile in it. It's not meaningless. It's focused for the benefit of others. So women can endure nine months of body-shaping pregnancy that takes from their nice svelte body to this big thing that's walking around, pain. I'm sorry. I just know I've talked to enough women to know this is painful for them to, to know this. Their bodies are being totally taken away from them. All right, for nine months. And then the last few hours, it's excruciating because they're having to give birth to this baby. But when that baby comes, suddenly it's like, it's like it vanishes. It's like, oh, suddenly there's like, wow, they hold the baby. And what they, the nine months they just went through, now they'll remind the kid of it later. But in that moment, <laughs> in that moment, it's like, ah, oh, it was so worth it. I got this baby, Right? They were suffering for someone else, and it became joyful. It became worth it 
A man tries hard to provide a good home for his family, a safe place, a place where his kids can grow up, not have too many problems, you know. He works hard, long hours, spends time with them, throws the ball with them, does all those things. He, he does that even though it means, hey, I'm going to give up some of the things that I used to do, you know, some activities I really enjoyed doing. I found a lot of value in doing them. I'm going to give those up. And it's, it's a kind of a suffering. Now, you women are going, oh, yeah, right. He gives up a few activities. That's suffering, you know. See, we have, we have to be careful. We don't want to judge other people's level of suffering and compare it to our own. I mean, it's, it's all different, right? It really is. But a guy does that. He makes decisions that he's going to provide for his family. So he cuts off parts of a life that he found enjoyable at one time. And it's like, God, he's suffering. It's difficult. But he has joy. He'll do it for his wife. He'll do it for his kids. He wants to provide for them. See, he'll work the long hours because he knows there's joy in serving others. At the heart of the gospel, there's a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 says it this way. It says that after he suffered, this Messiah, this one who's coming, says after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. He'll be satisfied. And by this knowledge of righteousness, uh, excuse me, as this knowledge, my, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. It's talking about Jesus. He was serving us from the time he was born to the time he was on the cross. He was serving us and he was suffering. Paul says, look, in my suffering, what I want to know is Jesus. I want to know him. He's the source of all joy. He writes in another place in Philippians 3, he writes it this way. I'll just read it. It says, I want, you to, know, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Yeah, the high places. I want to know him there. And I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. See, that's a full-blown knowing that I know someone in a great, exciting times, and I know some in the very worst of times. That's what Paul says. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him by participating in his sufferings. This thing about rejoicing and having joy, I mean, it's an interesting word because it's re- very closely related to grace. The word for rejoice and the word for grace, they're very closely related to one another. And essentially what Paul here is saying, is says, hey, I want to be favorably disposed to, I want to lean into suffering. I have grace for this. I want to lean into it. I don't want to try to run from it all the time. I actually want to lean into it because I know that there's something there. I will know Jesus better by going through it. We try to avoid suffering like the plague. Paul reminds us that there's grace to be found here. In this place of suffering, there's actually grace to be found here. Through suffering with Jesus, we can know him in a deeper way. He is the suffering servant. And when we go through suffering, it's like, no, we know him better. We can. We can rejoice because it's opening up our capacity to be able to know joy more. The deeper the suffering, the deeper the joy. I mean, if we think about it, we know this is true. We've seen people's lives that were like totally messed up. They've gone through really horrendous times, but they came through it, and it's like at the end of it, you go, wow, that's a life that was well-lived. I mean, I just think of like Johnny Erickson Todd. I mean, she breaks her neck when she's a teenage girl. And years later, you look and she, she suffered as a quadriplegic for years and years and years and years and years. She has a deep and abiding faith in Jesus. She knows joy through suffering. 
See, comfort is what we often want, but comfort is a real trap. Jesus says, hey, I will comfort you in your suffering. He does say that. He comes along. But comfort is a trap because what we do is we don't really want just for Jesus to come and comfort us. We want comfort. See, there's a difference. I don't want Jesus to come and comfort me. I just want the comfort. And Jesus says, no, you you don't want just the comfort. That'll kill you. (laughs) Comfort and security will become like an idol to you. If you're always trying to just move around to adjust your and posture yourself so that you're always comfortable and not struggling or having... You will not lean into Jesus. You will not find grace. You will not find joy. I'm glad that Jesus didn't seek comfort first. I mean, he makes us promises. He says, you guys like promises? You like to stick on your fridge or your mirror, you know, Bible promise type of stuff? You guys do that? Here's one for you. In this life, you will have trouble. Okay, John 16. In this life, you'll have trouble. Guess what, guys? Suffering and trouble, they're not going to go away. Because you have a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to go away. In fact, Jesus says, look, if they, if they persecuted me, the master, guess what they're going to do to you, the servant? They're going to persecute you. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be difficult, difficulty. I mean, we, we have an overestimated understanding of what we think this life should be like. We think that heaven should just be on earth now. We have an overestimation of that, no struggle, no pain, no difficulty now. But then we have an underestimated, uh, underestimation of what heaven is actually going to be like. That actually there will be no suffering, no pain, no tears. And we will be face-to-face presence with Jesus. So we underestimate that. We overestimate here. And we think that here and now, we want all of heaven right here, right now. And Jesus said, no, I am with you. You have me with you here and now. But I'm such a sucker. I mean, I do it all the time. I'm sure you do as well. Rather than leaning into Jesus and, and asking him to make himself, you know, more in me, I complain because he's not acting quickly enough to take my suffering away from me. Rather than enduring patiently, okay, which is one of the reasons why you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, Colossians says, I want you to be empowered by the presence of God so that you might endure, Right? We don't usually think of that. We usually think, no, I want the Holy Spirit because I want good feelings inside. That feels great. No, it's like you have been empowered to endure. I don't want that. I just want comfort. I want the pain to stop. I elevate my suffering above everyone else's. And and when I do that, it actually, it destroys rather than builds up the church. I blame God for my circumstances and I push away from Him rather than blessing God and leaning into my circumstances to find Grace in him. Well, Peter, another writer of the Bible, actually attacks that head on. In 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come uh, to you to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. I love the way he says that. But rejoice, lean into grace, inasmuch as you are doing this, participating in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted now because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Lean into suffering and find there God's grace. Find there God's joy. Let's consider how to respond to this. Take out, if you would, your communication card. After I wrote these response steps, I came up with 
the preacher thing, I came up with three E's, so maybe this will help you. First of all, that we expect suffering, uh, then we embrace suffering, and then we exalt in suffering, okay? They're all E words. On your communication card, it's slightly different. It's we embrace suffering, we rejoice in suffering, we focus on others through suffering. But let me just walk you through these things. Expecting suffering doesn't mean that we go out looking for it, but we're maintaining rather that uh, an attitude, an awareness that suffering will come and we're not going to be taken off guard because of it. I think so many times when suffering comes into our life, when difficulty comes into our life, our faith gets waylaid because we think that we are somehow above it in this life, that somehow it's not going to happen to us. It's not that we walk around cynically going, oh, there's always trouble. No, it's that we're aware. No, I'm not going to be knocked off of my faith and my refining grace in God because there's difficulty or struggle in my life. There's a peacefulness when we can live in an awareness that suffering may come. And when it does, there's a Savior who actually understands my suffering because He's been through it Himself. We can expect it. We can then embrace it. And we can lean into it when suffering, when difficulty comes in our lives. We can lean into it. We can find grace there. Now, there was a situation a, a, a couple of years ago that happened that one of my, my daughters actually went through that, that really, it was a time when she had to kind of lean into suffering a bit. So, Deborah, if you'll, you'll come up here. We have that. Uh, let's see if it works. Okay. Oh. It, there it goes. I'm amazing touch. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, Deborah, um, just kind of give us a background what happened. And... Um, so, uh, when, we, when I was eight years old, I moved from Joplin, Missouri to Fort Scott, Kansas, because my parents were helping out with the church plant. Um, and so I met this girl named PJ, and she was my best friend from, like, the second day that I met her, not the first day. <laughs> but um, so, um, so we were best friends for nine years up until I was 17 years old. Um, she had this thing called muscular dystrophy, which is where your muscles just don't grow regularly. Um, and so she, by the time we were in sixth grade, she was in a wheelchair and she couldn't walk at all. So, um, during that time of our friendship, um, I just, I mean, I loved her. So I took care of her, did, you know, things that she couldn't do for herself. And we just got, I think we got super, super closer because of that, which I didn't see at the time, but, (laughs) um, so, so we moved to Washington when I was 17 And three months after that, I was told that she died. (laughs) And and I remember journaling that afternoon when I found out, um, just telling God, I was like, either I can wallow in my pain and I can feel like I'm completely alone, (laughs) or I can really press in and find the purpose to this. And (laughs) over the past two years, it's just been like <laughs> really, really hard, but just a huge adventure in finding out God's purpose for this. And he's just shown his glory to me time and time again. And he's met up with me on so many occasions, just drawing himself closer and closer to me. And 
Um, there was just a time a couple weeks ago, actually, or I guess it was a month or two by now, um, but I was just having a really difficult time processing what had happened, and um, and I finally came to the point where I just broke down, and I was just I was just crying to God, and um, and finally once I cried out, I like. I just had this moment where I felt a physical pressure like lifted off my chest. And there have just been time and time again of stories that I could tell you of when when the Holy Spirit came and comforted me and through my suffering and now I can it was it was really hard losing my best friend, but God has just proven himself to be faithful to me time and time again, more faithful than any best friend could ever be to me. And because of that, I also know that I have like riches in heaven stored up for me. And <laughs> I can just say that the suffering has been completely worth it. Thanks. It's good. So we go through hard times. We learn that leaning into Jesus, we actually find help. We find joy and rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. And so the last thing is that we, we exalt, we rejoice in suffering. Now, like Deborah said, it didn't happen immediately. It wasn't like, you know, her friend died. She goes, oh, yay. You know, I mean, it wasn't that at all. I mean, but it's over time, she's pressed into Jesus more and more and found actually he's been a close friend to her through the whole thing. She's found that there's actually joy even in the midst of that suffering. Our suffering with rejoicing can cause people who don't know Jesus to lean in a little bit closer to find out why we endure with joy. You realize that. Paul, he says that. He says, look, I have become a minister of the gospel for this sake so that those who don't know him might know him. Again, his suffering is filling something out, filling something out so that people can know who Jesus is. We can rejoice because we are participating with Christ in his suffering. Our suffering doesn't provide forgiveness for people, but it does allow them to see an example. This is what Jesus did for you. So when there's a time of, of unforgiveness, when things happen, and it's like we haven't been able to forgive and we forgive someone, it's like they may have caused great pain, but when we forgive, it's like that's what Jesus did. He released you from this burden. He released you from this debt that you owed. And we can extend forgiveness, and they can see again what Christ is like. So we embrace suffering. We rejoice in suffering. We focus on others through our suffering. Your suffering, it's probably not about you. It's actually about other people, helping them to see Jesus more clearly. Let's stand up together. Bill's going to help us out here as we sing together. And in the midst of this, here's kind of what's going to, to happen here. We're going to take some time to just sing and, and worship Jesus. And we're also going to have a time here where we give. Um, there's opportunity for us. If you are a member or a regular attender, you, you give to um, Jubilee Church. We'd love for you to be able to do that. If you're a guest here, we certainly don't expect anything from you in that regard. And we're going to also have a time where we have communion. We're going to just celebrate what Jesus has done for us today. So as we sing here, ushers, if you'll come, uh, you can put your communication card in the basket as it comes by. Uh, you can also, if you, if you brought tithes and offerings, you can place that in the basket as well. Bill is singing.